What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Stand Up to Sitting podcast. I am your host and chief energy officer, Jeremy Abramson. And ladies and gentlemen, I am so pumped up for today's show. Before we dive in, I just want to tell you about this amazing company and brand that has decided to partner with the podcast. Because as you guys know, I'm someone who is always on the go and I often need a quick solution to energize my body in a healthy and delicious way. Kai's bars are my favorite and have been the perfect solution for me. They are great for a quick snack on the go or for fuel after a workout if you're trying to get swole. They are super clean with only four to six base ingredients, gluten-free, non-GMO, with vegan and dairy-free options. So we literally got every type of human being covered. And as delicious and nutritious as the bars are, my favorite thing about Kai's is that they are committed to changing lives and giving back to the world. And as someone who's dedicated to service, I only partner with people and brands who truly care about making a difference. And that is what my buddy Jeff, the founder, and his awesome team at Kai's are doing in Haiti and all around the world. With your support, Kai's is helping feed 1,000 kids every day while helping transform this community to to defeat generational poverty and live a better life. So help yourself and others by placing a Kai's order today at kaisconcepts.com. And you already know, use that gift code coachjeremy305 at the checkout for 15% off. Uh, Just to let you guys know, the almond butter and cookie dough are my two go-tos. They're absolutely delicious. And now, the moment you have all been waiting for, Dave Azer is joining us on today's show. And Dave is the founder and head media coach of Elite Media Coaching, an Emmy award-winning TV host, and an Amazon best-selling author. I am so pumped for this interview. Before we bring Dave in, I just want to let you know about some of the people he has interviewed. We're talking about the likes of Will Smith, Kevin Hart, Halle Berry, Al Gore, Mark Wahlberg, John Cena, John Travolta, The Rock, and Jennifer Lopez. And guys, that's just to name a few. Hold on, hold on. I just got note of a few more. Let's not forget about LeBron James. I think I've heard of him. Dwayne Wade, Dan Marino, Joe Namath, Pete Rose, Barry Bonds, and Andre Agassi. Wow. Did I, did I leave anyone out, Dave? Yes. Uh, Jeremy Abramson. I've interviewed him twice. Yes. Bigger than all the other celebrities. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you on the show. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. By the way, can you be my hype man and just travel with me all the time? That was that was an introduction, man. I'm ready. Yeah. Let's travel the world. All right. I'll, I'll be the MC. <laughs> that um, was great. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate yeah. you. And yeah, Dave, Dave and I first connected, what was it, almost two years ago, I think. Yeah, maybe longer even. Yeah. yeah a couple of years for sure. And I was on his show with CW, super honored and humbled to have that platform and be listed in the group with those amazing people. And I'm just wondering, you've interacted with all of these powerful, impactful people in every type of industry. I'm wondering if you've noticed maybe one common theme or one common trait that they all seem to share. That's interesting. I would say ownership, Uh, whatever it is that they're 
area of expertise is, there's just a certain level of, of comfort uh, that they they're at the top of their game. It's not arrogance. I just think it's it's just this feeling of accomplishment, um, hard work, you know, dedication, but uh, almost a peace. You know mm. what I mean? That they're just they just feel very comfortable with who they are and with their their presentation. Yeah, like a like a confidence, an aura. Yeah, that it, it's like an aura. Again, it's not a, a, an obnoxious arrogance, right? So I'll give you an example: John Travolta. Wow. I mean, megastar. They right. don't really get much bigger than that, you know? But when I interviewed him, he was so kind and gracious and comfortable. Like, I'll give you a great backstory. So when so I was with the CW uh, for the John Travolta interview, and the way it works is the actor will come to town to promote a film, and their production company will set up a press day. So all of the local hosts and reporters will go to a hotel, and they'll wait one at a time in a green room. And then, and then when it's your turn, you go in, and Travolta is sitting there. He was with Kelly Preston, his wife, and you get five minutes, and you interview him, and you shake hands, you take a picture. Fantastic. Okay? Great. So it, it was a long day, and it was running late, and I was one of the last people to go. I had allocated hours and hours, so I was in no great rush. I was just excited to meet him. I was fine. But anyway, I was sitting in the waiting room, but also sort of near the bathroom, and John Travolta came out of doing interviews to use the restroom. And as he was walking, he came over to me and a colleague from another station. This never happens. He walked over and said, hey, I'm so sorry this is running late. Uh, uh, you know, we'll get to you guys soon. Thank you so much for being patient. John Travolta thanked me for waiting for him. You know, like it was amazing. And, and it was just genuine and kind and cool and, it, and awesome. What a great story. And then you go in to interview him and he's so gracious and he's asking you questions about yourself. Hey, Dave, where are you from? And, and I'm, I'm from Staten Island and, and we were there to talk about a mob film that he made about John Gotti and it was about Staten Island. So we talked about that, but he really cared, you know, and, and he was just so comfortable in his own skin. So Long answer to your question, I think it's just this feeling of just being really comfortable. And, and in most cases, most of those names that you mentioned, not all, but most, treating people really well. Mm. That's, that's incredible that you've had that interaction and that access to those types of people. I'm wondering, how do you prepare? Like, how do you get your mind in the right place to really act like you belong there? And to really ask thought-provoking questions. So you nailed it. The second part of that to me is the, is the most important part. You can easily go to one of these actors and have five minutes with them and say, oh, tell me about your film. Oh, tell me about your character. Oh, what was the most exciting part of the film? You can do that and then leave with your tape and that's great, but it's so boring. And it's been done by a bunch of other unprepared journalists. So for me, particularly for people who get interviewed all the time, my challenge as a host is to ask them things that they're not otherwise asked because that's when you get the best answers, right? So, so you, whenever possible, you watch the film. Let's, if we're talking about actors, you'll watch the film ahead of time and they'll usually have a screening. And you'll, and you'll be diligent. You'll actively watch the film and you'll watch scenes and you'll, you'll notice choices that the actors make and you'll, you'll take little notes. Oh, why did he make that choice? Oh, that's an interesting way to play that. And then you'll do some research on John Gotti or on whatever the film is about. And then you'll research the actor and you'll find out stuff about them that has nothing to do with the film. What are their hobbies? What are their charities that they donate to? And then from there, you have a robust amount of areas that you can pull questions from. So mm -hmm. when you're sitting in front of someone who's been interviewed a thousand 
thousand times and you say, yeah, you know, I really enjoyed the film. Um, in one of the scenes, there's this moment where you just, you know, whatever, you, you, you blink or you chew a piece of gum or something. Why? They, and they come alive. They love right. it. So that, to me, sets you up for the other part, the first part, which is how do you feel comfortable? So I think if you've done really good prep work, if you've th thought about some really awesome stuff that you know is going to work, when you walk in, you are comfortable because you've done the work, right? Like it's you're now a host. You are a host, and you're doing great. And I'm sure for you – if you were to interview somebody tomorrow without doing any work on them, you don't even know them, they walked in, you wouldn't feel as comfortable as you would if you put in a half hour of work, right? I'm, I'm guessing. So yeah. that's what it is. If you do the work, if you have good questions, you just, you know, you feel like you belong in that room. Yeah, 100%. No, I definitely can agree and relate to that. And I think it's also really important to be able to improvise and adapt for sure. On the fly, because we we don't know. Like, I don't know what type of day you've had today. Maybe you're feeling less open or less outgoing, and I might need to tap a little deeper. Or maybe you say something that gives me the opportunity to take the conversation a different direction. So I think I always say, like, when I give talks, and I'm sure you feel the same way too, it's like that level of preparation is so important, but it's also like feeling the energy of the room, the energy of the people, and knowing how to accept that and use that to your advantage. Yeah, so I, um, I, I watch, I don't anymore, but I, I used to watch a lot of red carpets and they would always infuriate me as a host because it's always, not always, but it's sometimes someone who's not really a host, they're a celebrity, right? So they let them do the red carpet interviews because they have a lot of Instagram followers or whatever. Fine. And they'll have their little note card. Oh, who are you wearing? You know, that's always the first one, right? Oh, what, what, who are you excited to meet? And to your point, they have all these prepared questions, but they'll get this great gem of an answer from Tom Hanks. And they're not even present and they're not listening mm. and they're not able to, to piggyback off of that really cool gem. And, you know, they go, oh, that's so exciting. So when are you, what are you going to say when you like, come on, yeah. you know, so you, so it's a combination of doing the work, like you said, but also being able to take your note card and go, okay, we're not using this today. Let me rip it up and throw it away and let me just be engaged. It's so funny. It's really funny you mentioned that whole being present thing, because one of the questions I, I had here to ask you was, were you able to stay present during these conversations or were you so kind of focused on, oh my God, this moment's so big. It's, you know, Barry Bonds or LeBron or J-Lo in front of me and not letting the moment get the best of you. So it's so funny you touched on that. So there's one time that I interviewed somebody that I had to, that I had to work really hard not to be starstruck. And it's a name that's not even nearly as big as any of those names. But I got to interview my childhood hero, my legitimate hero. So Don Mattingly is the manager of the Marlins. Right. He was the first baseman for the Yankees. He was the, he, sorry to cut you off, but he was also, I believe, the hitting coach or first base coach for the Yankees like yeah. 10 years ago. And I remember I got a ball signed by him. So I, I love Don Mattingly. He's the greatest. So yeah. when you're a kid living in New York and you love baseball and you love the Yankees, this is your god. You know, this is the Dan Marino for all the kids who loved him who lived down here. He was everything to me as a kid. I wore number 23 on my jersey. I, I tried to play first base. I hit lefty, so I hit like him. Well, not like him. I tried to hit like him, right? right? So a few years ago when he got the job managing the Marlins, I had some friends who worked for the Marlins, and I was like, this must happen. I must interview Don Mattingly. And they got me a one-on-one. -on -one. And for all of the Travoltas and the Al Gores and the Halle Berrys and the Mark Wahlbergs that are woof up here, 
I'm fine. You know, Al Gore was cool. That guy was a vice president of the United States. He's a climate change guru. And I talked to him about climate change. But even that, I was cool. But Mattingly, you're meeting your hero, you know? Right. And part of you is like, let, I hope I do a really good job to impress him. And then part of you is like, I hope he's not a jerk. Yeah. I hope I didn't waste my wow. childhood on someone who's like kind of mean. He was awesome. Awesome. And I did, when I saw him, I had that moment. There was a like hero worship moment when you're this when you're shaking hands with the guy who meant everything to you when you were a kid. But you just turn on your game face. I'm here to work, right? I'm here to do my job much as he is there to do his job. And you just power through it. And then when it's over, you call everybody in the universe who's important to you and you gush about it like you're a five-year-old. But for those five minutes, you just work. Yeah, I want to check that interview out. That's yeah. so special. It was it was so cool. I showed him a picture. It's really funny. When he played for the Yankees, he had a mullet, like 80s mullet right. hair, you know? And I had a poster of him in my bedroom. And there's a great picture of me as a kid sitting on top of my bed. The Mattingly poster is behind me. And I had a mullet at the time. And I'm wearing my Yankee jersey. And uh, I, I surprised him during the interview. I said, okay, Don, who wore it best? And I showed him the picture of like his mullet and my mullet. And we had a good laugh about it. And uh, it was a great moment. It was really cool. Wow, that's special. I have a question. You know, a lot of people younger people, especially, you know, we want to get in touch. We want to, we want to reach, we want to connect with successful people, people of impact, people of stature. What, what would you say is the best way to do that in terms of, you know, these people have everything in terms of material things and they have the success. What is one technique or one strategy to attract that abundant success into our lives? I just think, you know, so much of it is, is just being grateful and having gratitude and approaching an interaction from the perspective of, A, how can I learn from you? And, and B, what can I offer you? But not C, what can you offer me? Right. I, I know we're going to talk about this later, but I'm a cancer survivor. And, and when you go through that, boy, that really puts a lot of stuff into perspective, mm. you know, and you just realize how amazing it is to be alive, to wake up in the morning and, and go to sleep at night and have another day. So you come from it from that perspective. And I think you don't, you know, it just, it can really for the better reframe the kind of person you are and you stop going, Oh, I want to meet that person because of what they can do for me. No, it's, I want to meet that person because yeah, I mean, what they can do for me, but creatively, not financially, you know, like, what can I learn from them? And also, maybe there's something I can impart to them. Maybe it's something as simple in my case of, hey, I had melanoma, and it was pretty aggressive, you should probably wear sunscreen. So if I can do that for somebody, that's amazing. And and maybe they're worth a dollar, and maybe they're worth $100 million, mm. you know, whatever it is, it is. But I think, I think really, um, the thing is just to be selfless and come at it from a perspective of just, like, wanting to learn from somebody. Yeah. And giving. And right? giving. Yeah. Giving from like the heart yeah. because so many people have ulterior motives and they approach humans in a transactional way. Like I did this for you. Now you owe me that. You owe me one. You hear it all the time, right? And it's really giving with, without expectation that I feel like is the most powerful thing we can do, right? Yeah. And I do think, and, and I would actually like to get your opinion on this because I, I think you're a pretty spiritually aware guy. 
there's something to be said for putting that out in the universe. If you just redefine yourself as a person who is just like happy and kind and wants to help people and mentors people and you don't have any expectations, good stuff's going to start happening to you, right? People want to be around that energy. That's I think, what I think. No, hundred. I'm so glad you touched on that because literally I feel like this last year since I really dove deep, the last year has really been about like personal development, self-discovery. For me before that, it was more about like the physical body. How can I get stronger? How can I increase my joint mobility? How can I utilize the breath? But now it's really been looking within and through different practices, plant medicines and breath work, whatever it may be, exactly like you said, like you look within, you unleash your superpowers and you really understand that we're all just humans. We're all just humans. The people that we spoke about that you had the opportunity to interview and connect with, they're just people that are using their gifts and sharing them with the world. And that's really the intention of all of us. We all have these unique gifts. So how are you uh, using that gift? How are you sharing that gift and distributing it to the world? And those people are obviously uh, really high level examples of that, but that's what we're striving for too. So for me, I feel like I've attracted great people in my life because I've been super authentic. I've been super, uh, transparent and I've been vulnerable and I've really just expressed with the people that I resonate with and that inspire me. I'm like, I want to connect with you because I know we can create together. And when you come from a place of, of, of heart and intention and you, you use your instincts, um, you attract good things. So yeah, I'm definitely glad you mentioned that. And since you did mention being a cancer survivor, you know, I remember you mentioning that to me about surviving stage three melanoma and some of that journey and, and the process of that. And I would love for you to kind of speak a little about it and just about how it shifted your perspective on life. So I was, I guess I'll just age myself. I was 40. I had just turned 40 and I had lived those 40 years essentially without any health crises at all. I was a super healthy guy, right? You know, lived well, ate well, exercised, never really was in the doctor's office for any substantial reason. So then one day I got a mole on my face. Okay, whatever. It's a mole, no problem. Went to the dermatologist for an annual checkup. That particular day, I did not see the dermatologist. I saw the physician assistant. That was the one time that that ever happened. And I don't know about misdiagnosis and all that. It doesn't matter anymore. But that particular day, the physician assistant said to me, that thing on your face is nothing. It's cosmetic. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Maybe at the time it was cosmetic and evolved into melanoma. Again, doesn't matter. So I went about my life. And then four months later, the mole got bigger and the mole changed shape and it changed colors and, and it bled a couple of times. So it led me to a different dermatologist who immediately looked at my face and said, tell me about that. And that led to a biopsy. It led to melanoma, um, two surgeries, stage three, as you mentioned, a complete neck dissection. I don't have any lymph nodes on the left side of my neck, a parotidectomy. I don't have a parotid gland on the left side of my face. I have a massive scar on my stomach from the plastic surgeon who put me back together. And it was a really, really hard time. You're talking about a two-year clinical trial that I had to take, multiple CAT scans and brain MRIs and a PET scan and vials and vials of blood and some false alarms and some scares. And I 
was predisposed to anxiety anyway. I mean, the name of my book is A Hypochondriac's Guide to Beating Cancer. So I went through mentally some horrible, horrible stuff. I, I, cause melanoma is super aggressive and it spreads and I spent too much time on WebMD. So all of a sudden I was an expert, you know? Uh, so, you know, now a headache was a brain tumor and now a, a cough meant it was, it had spread to my lungs and a stomach ache was, well, now it's in my liver. And I, for about two years, went through that every day. No matter what the scan said, no matter what the doctor said, I just was waiting to die, um, mm. and and it it wrecked me. But the irony was, I was really, I guess, perfectly healthy. I mean, they the cancer they got they got it in the surgeries, and to this point, it has never come back. But even though I I had all that great medical news, I just kept waiting for bad news, mm. and it was ruining ruining my life. It was ruining my personal relationships. It was ruining my professional relationships. I was miserable and I was just a bummer to be around. So a couple of years into it, I started writing this book. I went to therapy and, and, you know, as you get a little distance from the initial diagnosis and more and more scans come back clean, you just start to get a little more confident. So in your prognosis, so things started to change for me and, um, I embraced fitness and even more so than I used to. And I just became much more, like, I just realized how lucky I was that I, that I was alive, you know, that I caught it when I caught it, that I, that the second dermatologist biopsied it, uh, that the surgeon was aggressive and found it when another surgeon might not have. And I just started realizing all of the things I had to be excited about and grateful for, and it changed me immeasurably. And I decided to be an advocate for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm, I'm on the American Cancer Society board. I've done work for the Melanoma Research Foundation. I'm going to continue to work for both those organizations. I'll talk to anybody who wants to listen about it. Uh, to what we said earlier, you know, I just want to help people understand if you're going to go to the beach all day, you know what? Throw on some sunscreen. Mm. And if there's a mole on your arm that looks weird to you, you know what? Go to the dermatologist. Because otherwise, you might not be alive in a couple of years. Yeah. So, wow, that's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And so you had the initial visit and the PA saw you and said, oh, you're fine. It's all good. And then the diagnosis happened four months later. Yeah, I went, I went on with my life. And um, four months later, in those four months, it evolved. It, it became bigger. And uh, it was initially flat, then it became raised. And like I said, it bled a couple of times. So again, when that PA saw me, because I've I've done some research on this, you know, there is a chance that at the time it just was a benign mole that later became melanoma, or there was a chance that she missed it, or she might've, she probably should have been more aggressive at the outset, you know, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly changed to the stage where I, I was shaving one day and, and I just, and I was like, you know what, this, this, something is different. It feels different. And I just went to the dermatologist, different dermatologist, like the next day. And, um, he said, let's biopsy it. And that was that. But, you know, I think the, the point of that story is a lot of people ignore stuff in their own body, mm -hmm. um, either because they, they think it's nothing or maybe they're afraid to find out it is something. But with the way that medicine is today, you know, if you catch any cancer, most cancers early enough, you have a pretty good chance. Yeah. But you got to catch them. So if yeah. you see something, if you feel something, go to the doctor. Yeah. You got to. I think that's so powerful too. And I'm always trying to give that message, you know, when I'm, teaching movement or breath work, it's like, this is just a conversation with your body, right? We're trying to build awareness and it's not good or bad. Don't have any judgment either way, but 
so often we get inundated, right, with our grind and we're constantly focused on external things and we don't look within. So you recognize, oh crap, that feels a little different. Shaving, maybe it was a little more rigid or you just felt a lump, right? And you had that awareness, which is so important. So we need to be proactive. You know, we need to be proactive in, and especially in Western medicine, a lot of times we wait till shit hits the fan to take action. And in your case, you were living a healthy lifestyle before this happened. And now I know you've really taken things to the next level after because you understand how fragile life really is. Um, one other thing that you mentioned is there's this mindset shift, right? We can have thinking that something is knowing, sorry, knowing that something is happening for us rather than to us, right? And it's easy to have that perspective looking back 2020. It's like, oh yeah, my girlfriend would cheated on me and I got fired from my job and that's what led me to move to Miami. Oh, that was amazing. I'm so glad those things happened. But to know that it's happening for us in the present is a whole different ball game. Yeah, and it's hard, right? I mean, when you're living in the grind of it, yeah. you don't often see the forest for the trees immediately. You just see, oh, well, that sucks. It's, That's ruining my day. Yeah, and I'm just trying to refer back to that scenario with your situation. It's like if that PA would have identified that mole right away, right, and you didn't go through that whole painful process, you probably wouldn't be so passionate about sharing your story about writing this book. Right, because then it would have just been like an early precancerous thing or whatever, which is certainly still scary. And it would have been lesson learned and I would have worn sunscreen more, but I, I wouldn't have joined the board of the ACS and I wouldn't have spoken on, right. I would have just been a guy who, who, got, who got off easy with a potential scare. Uh, and, and I have said, I said in the book, for me with my journey, getting melanoma was one of the best things that ever happened to me, comma, but I reserve the right to change my mind if it ever comes back. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, great, comma, unless it comes back. Then yeah. I'm not so happy about the journey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's really, truly so powerful because everything you're doing now in this book and all of that wouldn't have happened right. without shit hitting the fan. So I just encourage anyone listening and watching right now, you might be going through a moment or a situation that's really challenging really challenging. And my request is that you look in, you look inside, you find a way to channel that this is happening for you. I know it might seem wild. It might seem crazy, but, but it's happening for you and it's going to lead to something really powerful at the end. Okay. So if we can really have that mindset while we're going through it, I know it's easier said than done. I think it can really shift our whole experience. Now you mentioned also that for a majority of the recovery and treatment, you were very negative. You had this fear-based mentality that, oh, it's going to come back. And that affected everything else around you. How did you make that shift I know you said you started go going to therapy and, and writing, uh, writing about it. So my, my question for you is someone out there who's struggling with maybe it's a health scare or a relationship or a career change, right? And they're really stuck in a rut. Yeah. What words of encouragement can you so offer? So I, I had asked my uncle uh, because he was a cancer survivor. I had asked him 
what you're asking me now when I was, when I was like in the deepest, darkest pit of it all, I said, how did you deal with your cancer and how'd you get past worrying if it was going to come back? And so he's actually more of like a great uncle. It's, you know, family, you know, you call people uncles and they're not really uncles, (laughs) whatever. I got you. So the point is that he has kids and grandkids. Um, and he just said to me, he said, look, I'm a father and I'm a grandfather. I don't have time to worry about my can't I, I like that's like low priority for me i'm here to make the to make their lives better mm. and even though at the time i didn't have kids or grandkids um not as far as i know of anyway i i i, I really took stock in that and i and i figured okay let me just be let me just be less selfish. Let me be more selfless. Let me put my, and all of this energy, let me put it somewhere else. So I don't have time to sit around and be miserable and, and bitch and think about all of these terrible things that may or may not be happening. You know what? The next time I get a headache, it's just going to be a headache. It's not a brain tumor. And I won't even notice it's a headache because I'm going to be busy doing 10 things. I'm going to be starting this book and I'm going to be speaking at a conference or I'm going to be emceeing in a, a charity event or whatever it is. I'm just going to do stuff. I'm going to help, uh, you know, give away turkeys on thanksgiving all of these things because you just get farther away from your own stuff you don't have time to worry about it and and look you know there's some other techniques too um i also and this one is tricky and i'm not there yet with this i wonder where you are with this i also started to realize that death is coming for all of us Mm. we're all gonna get it right whether your cancer comes back or you get hit by a truck or lightning or whatever and again i'm not fully present with that. I'm not like, well, it's okay because I'm going to die anyway, right? But you are, we all are. So I think if you can get to that point and you're not so afraid of it, it doesn't govern how you feel all the time. Mm. Which I think is a tough place to get to, by the way, because I love living. I love life and I would hate for it to be over. Yeah, well, I think think having that in the back of your mind that this isn't going to last forever gives you that extra push, that extra incentive, that extra inspiration to go out there and make an impact. And I don't know if you noticed this, but everything you were saying that helped you shift your mindset, shift your perspective was all around service, Mm -hmm. around giving back, around adding value, taking the focus off of yourself. And I think that's really profound. And I had this conversation with my brother not so long ago who was going in and out of depression and stuff like that. I was like, John, just, just volunteer. Find something you're passionate about. You like working with kids. Volunteer once a week. You know, he started volunteering on a farm and an after-school program. And he found so much joy in it. And he found his purpose. He found that his life mattered. That he had a lot of people to impact. So I think... That is such a powerful message for people out there, whether you're sick or whether you're not, you might be perfectly well, but serving service is really the lifeline of this existence. Yeah. And you're a a thousand percent right. It even led to a career transformation for me because I am now a public speaking and media coach, which I've been doing for a couple of years now, in addition to still being a TV host um, and a, a motivational speaker. So I... I've look, I've hosted thousands of hours of television. As you mentioned, I've interviewed some really famous, cool people. I'm hosting a, a high school football show right now on Fox Sports. It's that's great and I love it and it's fun for me. But as a coach, to help people overcome for many of them a crushing fear of public speaking. 
I'm sure you know it, you've interacted with people who are just terrified to be public speakers. So if I can work with somebody to overcome something that is limiting them in every way, personally and professionally, and I can get them to make a breakthrough and they go give a speech and they sit on a panel or whatever, and then they send me an email or a text or they call me and they're like, oh my God, this was awesome. I did it. What a great feeling. It's fantastic. I love that stuff. Yes. That impact is everything. Can you talk about, since we're on the subject, about speaking? Because this is something that I was hiding from most of my life. I didn't think my voice was important. I didn't think it mattered. Um, and I think a lot of people can relate, relate to that. Uh, what are, in your estimation, in your expertise, the three most important qualities to improve, to work on when you're becoming a speaker? It's funny that you, uh, we didn't plan this ahead of time, but you asked me for three because I coach based on three principles. Perfect. Yeah. So I, I coach based on a platform that I call the three P's, mm. preparation, poise, and performance. And those three elements are integral they're all equally as important, and they all lead to you becoming a more dynamic communicator. So preparation is huge because a lot of times people don't succeed as a speaker or come up short as a speaker because they haven't put in the work ahead of time. They haven't thoughtfully considered who their audience is. Because by the way, when you give a speech to a room full of people, it's never about you. It's about those people. Mm. You can think you're so funny and witty and terrific and your story is great, but if that audience isn't there to hear that, it doesn't matter. So when you start thinking about, okay, who am I speaking to? And why do they care? And what is their takeaway? That's the first step. So now when you're writing this down, and this, when I say public speaking, it's a catch-all. It's giving a speech, sitting on a panel, shooting a, a YouTube video, being on television. It's all of that stuff, okay? So let's just call it public speaking, right? So who's my audience? Is it one people, one person? Is it a thousand people? And what do they want? So you start thinking about that, okay? Then you have to rehearse it. And you have to really pay critical attention to your rehearsals. You gotta actively rehearse. What I mean by actively rehearsing is, Let's say you're giving a wedding speech. It's not enough to write some stuff down on a piece of paper and go, that'll be funny. Oh, they'll love that. Fold it up and I'm ready. You will bomb yeah. and it will be horrible. It's not enough to do that. You got to do it. You have to say it out loud and ideally record it and then watch it back. No one else on earth has to see it. You can delete it the second it's over, although I do think there is value in having somebody else watch it with you, especially if you're going to tell jokes and, and, and be playful in your wedding speech. I think it's good to have somebody go, yeah, that, maybe that's a little rude. Maybe you shouldn't be roasting the, the bride or the groom, you know. But I, I think there's definite value in saying stuff out loud and watching it back, okay? So that's the short version of the preparation. The poise is the anxiety that, that people get when they, when they speak, right? That's a huge thing. People are super nervous. So, and this is an area that you're probably an expert in, managing that using your body to work with you and for you. You know, I'm, I'm a huge advocate in before you're going to appear on TV in the middle of the day or at night, go for a run in the morning. Meditate, yoga, breath exercises. What you wear matters. When people say it doesn't matter what you wear, yes, it does. It does matter. It matters to the audience and it matters to you. Get your hair done. Get your hair and nails done. Your your nails done. Um, whatever you got to do to make you feel good and confident and comfortable. And then also, and I know this is big for you, a lot of positive self talk. Give yourself a pep talk. Remind yourself that you belong 
behind this microphone, that you specifically have value, that your message specifically should be heard, that you are an expert in whatever it is that you're talking about. You can even write down your resume and just have it in front of you to remind you how, how much of a badass you are. And then the performance stuff is the, that's all the fun stuff. That's the vocal inflection and the energy and the storytelling and, and the pausing and bringing people in and then pushing them back and using your hands. That's all of that. So I teach all of that stuff because they're all equally important. Yeah. I'm super excited, by the way, because you started hosting these exclusive workshops that teach all of these skills. And I'm super excited next weekend. It's yeah. coming up. Saturday, October 5th. Yeah. And sorry for everyone listening because I got the last spot, <laughs> but do not worry because there's going to be another workshop if you're in the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area, November 2nd, and we'll make sure to plug that into the show notes. So be sure to check that out because guys, it doesn't matter. Like Dave said, if you're speaking to a big audience or maybe it's an IGTV or you're talking to your loved one, your, your partner, communication and knowing how to articulate your thoughts and feelings is so powerful regardless of the setting. So I really appreciate everything that you shared because I think they're also valuable and talking about this feeling of anxiety that comes over us, especially as a hypochondriac yourself, Oof, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'd like to say reformed hypochondriac because yeah. now if I have a headache, I still think it's brain cancer, but that's like 10th on the list. Yeah, You know what I mean? First, I'm like, okay, dehydration, okay, stress, and then I get to the brain cancer. But it's not there, not at the top anymore. We're making, we're taking we're making those small steps, yes, though. That's yes. what it's all about. So I really think it's important, you know, this feeling of anxiety. We're always told that anxiety is bad. Oh, this person has ADD. But I think anxiety is a good thing if we know how to channel it properly. I talk about that. That is, that is one of the, that's the poise, right? Because people say to me all the time, how do I not be nervous when I give a speech? Uh, you're going to be nervous. Newsflash, yeah. right? How do I not be nervous when I go on TV? You're going to be. You nailed it, my friend. I don't say fight it. I say use it. I say like lean into it and breathe into it because, you know, you're an athlete. Athletically, it, some of like Michael Jordan's best performances are in the biggest games because you just feed off of it and mm -hmm. it lights you up and, and performing is largely about energy. So why would you try to suppress a natural energy source, right? If your heart's beating and your brain's going, you lean into that, man, use it, embrace it. Yeah. Channel it in a positive way. So if you're feeling butterflies in your stomach, that's a great thing. That's beautiful. Channel those butterflies, let them flutter their wings and <laughs> And manage your breath. I think breath is super important when we're talking about how to really gain control or of our physiology. And, um, and that's something that I think we can all use in an effective way. And then talking about performance. Because you have someone like me who's naturally very energetic. And then you have people who are more reserved. They're more introverted. So... How do you approach working with someone like that? The most important thing is to be connected to what you are saying, to be passionate about what you are talking about. Because when you are, you will light up and, mm -hmm. and the audience will see that and that will resonate. Now, you might also need to kind of overdo it a bit if you are a, 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 a more low energy person, which is fine. It's okay. You just need to be aware of that. And that's when the rehearsing comes into play and watching yourself and going, okay, I get it. I'm a little flat, 
I need to be, I need to be really hyped up. You are not, you know, you and I are both big personalities, so that's not for us, but, um, for some people it is, but I think the most important thing is to, is to genuinely be excited and enthusiastic about what you were talking about. And by the way, if you're giving a speech about something and, and you're having a, a crap day and maybe it's about your job, but maybe you've had a bad week on the job and you're feeling a little disillusioned about it, that's going to come through right? And people are not going to be into it. So you need to reframe your brain and remember what it is about your career that you loved in the first place and come from that place and, and bring it out there because it's infectious, right? The intro that you gave me before I even opened my mouth, I'm just watching you talk about me. I'm like, damn, hell yeah, I belong here. Yes. Yeah. But, but you know, and then, and then that, and now me, my responsibility is to give that back to you. Mm. So it's, it's supremely important to just, when that light is on, when you're talking to people, you got to find it, but you got to find it from a natural organic place. You can't fake it. People can tell. Yes. You got to be fired up about what you're talking about. I love that. So you're basically preaching authenticity. Absolutely. Cause I can't teach you that. Yeah. I could teach you what to do with your hands and how to use your eyes and how to pause and vocal inflection, but I can't teach you to be passionate and enthusiastic and authentic about what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think it's really important to build that self-awareness, understand what your voice is. Because like you said, we're higher energy type of people. So people might watch this and they're like, oh, I need to match that when I speak. And if that's not you, it's going to come out. So you don't have to be the most rambunctious, outgoing person. You can make a super powerful impact using your voice, right? But like you said, finding that topic, finding that thing that really touches your heart and makes your soul sing because it's going to be easy to talk about that for hours. Oh, yeah. And, and you don't always have to be loud to be impactful. Mm. You can make a very strong point by bringing your voice down. And I think, right, because I think there's a natural thinking, I got to yell, I got to shout about it. Maybe, but not always, right? Maybe you go the other way uh, and you just take your time and you really hit certain words and then you just sit on a point just like that. And that's powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't always have to go here. Yeah. You can go here, you can go here. But, but by the way, that has nothing to do, because you can still be energetic and whisper, and you can still be flat and scream. So your energy still has to be good, but your voice doesn't have to always be there. Yeah, and just like you said, it's about your audience, right? Right. Who are you, who are you catering your message to? Because even if we're talking about social media, right, we're going to find a different demographic on Instagram than we are on LinkedIn. So if you're posting the same exact content to both of those platforms, you have to really reconsider because people aren't going to accept that message in the same type of way. LinkedIn is older, more professional, more business oriented, more educated, right? So you're going to really want to communicate that and add value to those people, right? And then Instagram is more of like a quick dopamine hit. Like, yo, I'm at a stoplight or I'm in line at the grocery store. I just want to be entertained. I want to laugh, like whatever that is. But being aware of your audience and being selfless, like you said, with that message. So I love that. I love everything you mentioned. Man, I fucking love talking to you. I, I literally like, it's great. I think that my favorite part about having this platform, and maybe you can relate with all of your experience, is like, 
I just get to learn so much yeah. from people way smarter than me. Well, I, I wouldn't say the second part of that, but I would say you definitely get to learn. Yeah. Uh, somebody once said to me that we have two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we talk. And I think that is brilliant. And there's another expression, all these great expressions. Another expression is if you're the smartest person in the room, find another room, right? Because you should constantly be on a journey to learn from people. And I love when I interview people who can speak to me about ex- their mastery of something that I, that I heretofore to that point maybe didn't even really think too much about. But I can maybe um, interview, a, 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 and I do play a, a bit of guitar, but like a, like a guitar expert, aficionado, and they just talk about the fretboard, and, the, and I'm just like, that is mind-blowing stuff, you know? But about anything, but you're right, it's, it's a real benefit to be able to like learn from you, just be like, tell me more. Yeah. yeah that's cool. Like that curiosity, you yeah. know? Because we often get stuck in our own bubble and we think we know everything. And I think it's so important to branch out, get new perspectives from people like you who have so much experience, who have walked so many incredible different journeys in this life. And one of those stepping stones that I definitely want to talk about, we couldn't do this. <laughs> I know where we're going. Okay. We couldn't do this interview without it is this guy was the host of a childhood favorite of mine, Slime Time Live on Nickelodeon. It was in the late two th- or late nineties. Early two thousands, yeah, like right around two thousand into two thousand four or five. Yeah. So guys, just just for the record, before Dave gets into this, <laughs> um, go on YouTube and search like Slime Time Live. This show was so epic and brought so much joy to my generation. And I think it's one of the most successful shows in Nickelodeon history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly live shows for sure. Yeah. yeah, it was on every day for years. It was um, supposed to be a 10-week project. Uh, so basically, the show Double Dare. Remember, remember Double yeah. Dare? Okay. So Double Dare, when I was a kid, was huge with Mark Summers. Then they brought it back in the year 2000. They called it Double Dare 2000. And I was working for Nickelodeon on a, on a show called Nickelodeon Games and Sports, Gas, which was a smaller show. And they asked me to host this little thing called Slime Time. I mean, they were like, look, here's what it is. It's going to be on for a couple of minutes at a time leading up to Double Dare. And really, the goal of this show is to push to Double Dare, promote Double Dare. I was upset because I wanted to host Double Dare, but they gave that to someone else. So I was like, fine, I will take this other thing. I'll take it, right? And they said, okay, it's 10 weeks. This is what the money is. All of this is non-negotiable. Do you want it or not? I said, great. How old were you at the time? I was... Oof, I was early 20s. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was wild, man. It was That was cool. like your first job at that a... Was my, that was, yeah, Nickelodeon was my first TV job out of college. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I, 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 I was lucky. I was really lucky. I had some good breaks. Um, I think I was prepared, and I also had some good breaks. And when those things come together, you succeed. So I, I took Slime Time Live on happily. It was so much fun. I mean, live national TV, studio audience, you're dumping slime, you're throwing pies in people's faces, you're on Nickelodeon, it's so cool. And then Double Dare, unfortunately, ended up not really being that successful and went away. But Slime Time, which was only supposed to exist to promote Double Dare, became this like runaway freight train. And it was just this humongous, life-changing thing for me. Um, I got like frosted tip highlights in my hair. You know, I was like, who am I? Who is this person getting highlights in their hair? I was on uh, like Popstar Magazine and J14 and all of these things that I just wanted to be a sportscaster when I was in high school. This like, I wasn't planning on sliming people. Um, it was great. It was, it was so fun, man. It was super, super cool. You said it changed your life. What 
would you say was the most profound change that that show had on you? <clears throat> Boy, um, gosh, I mean, there was the, you know, there's the like not super important stuff like it, it, it made me sort of quasi-famous, which was fun when you're in your early 20s to go out and people recognize you and you're signing autographs. Now you look back on it, you're like, okay, that's fine. But but that was, you know, that was pretty cool, right? Yeah. That's a pretty neat thing. So that was good. I did get to travel. I traveled the country for Nickelodeon. I also ended up hosting a show in London for them. So I saw a bit of the world, again, in my early to mid-20s. So all that was great. I think probably for me, the friendships I made are awesome. But I think it... it that was not an easy show to host because it's live, because there's an audience, because you're dealing with kids a lot, and kids aren't always super easy on camera. You don't know what they're going to say. Um, and you are in charge of running a, an unscripted game show. So you're starting a game here, and then you're moving over here, and then maybe this piece of equipment doesn't work, and then this doesn't happen, and then what? You know, there's a lot. Yeah. So I think probably it just equipped me to become a, a pretty good host because I dealt with everything at a young age that a host might ever deal with. And I learned a ton of skills, ton of skills. That's so wild. Like you, how, just to get an idea, like you walking in the streets, like how often would you get recognized? All, all the time. All the really? time. Mm -hmm. Would they be like, Hey Dave Azer, would they be like Slime Time Live? Like, what would be the? So it was, it was, it was both of those. It was Slime Guy, which was uh, never really my favorite. Hey Slime Guy, um, but this is a, this is a good one. This is a good self-deprecating one. So, right when Slime Time had started, uh, and I was starting to get recognized, I you know I was into it. It was cool, and I was at the Orlando airport because we shot the show in Orlando, and I was on my cell phone talking to my brother. There were cell phones there back were, then? They, they were like the archaic ones. Yes, <laughs> thank you. There was electricity. It was amazing. Yeah, it was a good, it was a great world. No, there were cell phones. It, it wasn't super fancy, but I'm on it. And uh, I see this kid looking at me, right? And he's, um, he's like, I see him like kind of talking to his mom and pointing at me. And, and I was like, I'm getting recognized. I'm getting recognized. You know, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm a big deal. I, yeah, you know, I'm a big deal. And I see him grab his, like, he had like a Walt Disney World, like autograph book. And I see him grab it, you know, and um, I'm like, yeah, he's coming for an autograph. Yeah, what's up? What's up? And so my brother's giving me grief about it. So I see the, this kid walking over and he's like, excuse me, excuse me. And I'm like, I, I got to call you back. And I'm like, what's up, buddy? And he gives me his little autograph book and he's like, Carson, will you sign this for me? Carson I Daly? I was Carson Daly. Yeah, because TRL was on at the same time. And I was like, Ugh! but I signed it like, keep watching TRL, Carson Daly. So if you're watching and you think you met Carson Daly... Alas, I guess I can see that. Not. He's a lot taller than me, but we have some similar features. Yeah. So it was sometimes Slime Guy, it was sometimes Dave, and sometimes it was Carson Daly. Yeah. <laughs> but it was cool, man. It was, I'll never forget that. Your journey has been a really fun, wild ride. Just getting started, man. That's what's so special is like, I feel like you've, you've had these great opportunities, but you haven't, you've always had to report to somebody. Mm. You know what I mean? And I feel like you watching you step into that power and creating your own business and impacting all of these people is really what you were called to do. And I think all of these other positions and moments prepared you for that. And I think overcoming cancer, writing this book, I think it was all just different chapters of the Dave Azer story. And like you said, like we're at the we're at the beginning stages still. So, what are you most excited about right now? 
Well, I, I just got married about six months ago, which is really cool. Um, I, I made it a long time without ever getting married. I never thought I was going to, but I met the woman. So, um, so I love that. I love being newly married. It's really neat. I'm excited to be a, a better husband, a, a, a better father. I'm, I'm excited for that. That's really great. And I think for me, honestly, um, you know, now that I'm, now that I'm spending the most time and energy on motivational speaking and media coaching and still some TV hosting, but I'm, I'm excited to influence as many people as I, to help as many people as I can, really what we've been talking about, you know, like I just came from a speech before I came here today. It was a presentation uh, to some small business owners, to some entrepreneurs. And when I speak about public speaking, I typically start with some version of show of hands, who loves public speaking? Two hands go up. Show of hands, who hates public speaking? 25 hands go up, you know? And then the same thing today. Almost everyone there was terrified of it, but also understands how important it is. Um, So to give a presentation and do some interactive exercises where I bring people up and I do mock interviews with them and to see the change and to, and to see them embrace what we're talking about. It's the same thing when you, when you coach people, right? And and afterwards someone says to you, that was so impactful. I I can't wait to go shoot a a social media video later, or I'm going to be on a panel next month. And now I feel like I'm going to do great. Like though, I just want to do more of that. That's Mm -hmm. it. I just want to help people. It's so interesting that you said like, it's kind of like what you do when you were talking to me just now. Yeah. And I was thinking the exact same thing because whether it's physical training, whether it's mindset training, whether it's uh, becoming a better speaker, a lot of it is overcoming self-beliefs, overcoming self-limiting beliefs. These thoughts and stories we've told ourselves for a majority of our lives, maybe that we're not worthy of having a stage to speak on or that our voice sounds funny when it's recorded. So I think what you and I are both doing is really trying to empower people right? To use their body, to use their voice. I think they go hand in hand, you know, and we've, we've spoke, spoke about that before. I think there's so much conjunction, um, and synergy between what we do. So I'm so excited to experience you in your full presence and power next Saturday. It's going to be amazing. And just to call the action for people, Dave, I think gave a great piece of advice when he said, record yourself, you know, record yourself on video. I think a big thing that holds people back is this fear of judgment. They're fearing what people are going to say about them. They're fearing sounding stupid or silly or saying the wrong thing. And once you can get over that limiting belief and over that hump, I'm telling you there's such amazing opportunities on the other side of that fear. Okay, so take the first step. Listening to this show is great, but it doesn't really do anything if you don't take action. So remember, knowledge isn't power. Knowledge is potential power. It requires you. You are the source. You need to take action. And before we continue with a fun uh, final segment of the interview, I wanted to just see if there's anything else that you wanted to touch upon. Um, How can we support you? I know you have this book. I know you have coaching. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, if you just go to daveazer.com, you'll find everything. There's a tab about my coaching, and then there's one about my motivational speaking, and then you can even buy the book there if you want to. You can learn anything you want about me, daveazer.com. Last name is A-I-Z-E-R. Also, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, 
Dave Azer. It's super simple. And if you just want to send me a message and ask me a question about the next speech you have to give or about a mole on your back or whatever, uh, that one, I'm not a doctor, but I, I'll tell you, I'll give you a dermatologist to go to, but I'm just happy to help. Amazing. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, include all those links in the show, guys. Make sure to grab a copy of this book because, you know, yeah, it's about Dave's overcoming of cancer, but I think we all have cancers in our lives, right? We all have adversities. We all have obstacles to overcome. And I think his story can really help you gain perspective and get through any challenges that you're currently experiencing. Um, so this is my favorite part of the interview. Uh, some rapid fire. Okay. We'll just go for a few questions. And I love it. No, no, no thoughts. Just whatever comes to mind. Favorite emoji. I'm so not an emoji guy. My wife gives me grief about it. I don't know the I don't know the smiley. I, that's such a lame answer. I'm not an emoji guy. I love it. Okay. I love it. That's my answer. I love that. Biggest pet peeve. Um, <laughs> wow, that's probably misspellings, like lazy misspellings. Okay. Because as a journalist, you know, like a journalism guy, it's like, you know, when people don't sort of fact check their stuff. It's rapid fire misspellings. Quote or mantra that you live by. Um, Jerry Seinfeld, who said that public speaking is people's number one fear, death is number two, which means at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. Yes. Any Seinfeld quote is a good quote. <laughs> right. Book or movie that has impacted you the most? Wow. Wow. Okay. I'm going to say Saving Private Ryan. Wow. You're a big Tom Hanks guy, Oh, right? I love that movie. Yes. And what are you most grateful for? Being alive. That's it. Mm, life. Life. Yeah, for real. Okay, and thank you for going through that and being such a good sport. That's it? Okay. I wanted <laughs> to, I wanted to, before we wrap up, I want to acknowledge you. I want to acknowledge you for all of the impact that you're creating and really choosing a life of service. And you've accomplished so many things. You've had a bunch of success in your life. And like we spoke about, I really know that you're just getting started and I'm so honored and excited to be on this journey together and uh, I'm excited to keep learning from you so thank you so much for dedicating yourself to the rest of the world thank you and thank you for doing what you're doing because the world needs more positivity and more shows like this and you my friend you've come a long way on camera I mean you were always good but I, you know, I'm the first time I interviewed you you were not this you're you're a beast now this is great. I appreciate you. Yeah. Man. I'm just, I'm really just trying to step into my power. Yeah. Use that voice because we all have one. We all have a powerful voice to use. And I just, like you, I want to empower people to do that. So thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for tuning into the show. And you already know what time it is. It's time to use your voice and stand up to sitting. <laughs>